Broadcasting from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, it's time for Executive Perspective. Executive Perspective is brought to you by Cressa, going beyond space to foster the best environment for every business. Now, here's your host, Danny Vandermeer. Hello, and welcome to Executive Perspective, a podcast series brought to you by Cressa, the world's largest commercial real estate firm dedicated to representing tenants. I'm Danny Vandermaten, Vice President in Cressa's Atlanta office, and today I will be your host. And I'm so excited today to welcome one of my most favorite people to talk to, Harry Moggins, CEO of Privacy B. And I'll go as far as to say, Harry, that Privacy B is a data protection company, but I'll let you maybe talk a little bit more about that. But thank you for coming. Appreciate you being here. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. So what can you tell us about Privacy B that I didn't just say in that little snippet? Uh, well, so we are fighting for or fighting against the exploitation of privacy. Yeah. So people, you know, the world's changing very fast and a lot of business is getting more aggressive with how they use data. And not a lot of people are standing up for the rights of consumers and employees. And that's where we're carving our niche. niche. And how long has privacy been around? A couple of years. We're pretty new. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, you know, it's funny. We talk about, we talk about cybersecurity and we talk about that market. It feels like every day. There's another major data breach in the news. And in research, I see that it's a $200 billion market. What is going on there? So you're right. So cybersecurity is exploding, and yet data breaches still keep happening. If you look back at you know 2022, last year, every single major data breach that happened, that company had cybersecurity. So the, the realization we're having is cybersecurity is not enough anymore. And there's this concept that we're, we're coining called external data privacy, which is the evolution of cybersecurity. It's complementary to business cybersecurity. And that's where we're really seeing a lot of impact to help mitigate risk beyond what traditional cybersecurity does using privacy. So external data privacy is a complement to cybersecurity. Yes. So there's no such thing as perfect protection. There is no 100%, you know, zero risk kind of company. So what happens is you introduce different pieces in a business that mitigate risk. So you have your cybersecurity strategy. It protects your devices and your endpoints and your phones and your computers and all that. You have your physical access for the building. You have your GRC, you know, governance, risk, and compliance, your policies, basically saying don't click a link in an email. You have, your, you have a lot of different things that you do trying to decrease the risk of getting hacked. But you can never truly get to perfect risk protection. So privacy B, and it's like the insect B, you know, privacy B, mm-hmm. privacy B is, <laughs> is fighting for how can we further decrease the risk of a data breach? And the, re, the way we do that, just in a super quick nutshell, hackers are getting smart. They're, they're lazy, right? So when I say they're lazy, if there's a way into a business um, that's a side window or back door, they're not going to go right in the front door where you spent $100 million in cybersecurity or $50 million in cybersecurity. That's too hard, and they're lazy. They're going to look for that side window. So when you look at the landscape of a company and the risks that company's facing, the human aspect is the weakest link. That's the scariest part. When you have a brand new VP or SVP coming into a business who is a father and a, um, you know, a family person, and uh-huh. they... He has a, um, a natural 
uh, risk built in because of you know, his, his information is being exposed out there. When you Google that person's information, you might find his home address. You might find his kids' names, his, mm-hmm. his wife or husband. You might find the person's information out there. So when a hacker is trying to convince them to um, give them a password or circumvent whatever cybersecurity investment, you can craft a very, very surgical and highly effective message, spear phishing message, uh, trick email or text that causes that executive to forget their training and click a link they shouldn't click and enter a password that they think safe, but it's actually a fake website and highly effective. We call it PII or personally identifiable information. PII infused spear phishing is the most effective form of hacking today. And that's how a lot of these data breaches are happening. And so that kind of data breach where you talk about personal information, email, phone numbers, does it also include buying habits? Does it include oh, preferences on you know different different consumer goods that that individual would be a target for? Is that encompassing in in what's known as external data? Yeah, absolutely. So it, it external data is really everything outside of the walls. So okay. anything that's available, exposed online, or collected by data brokers, data aggregators, data compilers, data syndicators, all the different companies that operate in that that, you know, two, $300 billion world of, of data exchange, there's a facilitation and a lot of it's the kind of stuff that's exposed in Google from people search sites. Mm-hmm. It's trivial now to find out those kind of buying habits or um, previous cars a person's owned or anything about an individual that can be used to craft a message. So for example, say a brand new executive gets a text message saying, you know, dear John, your daughter, Sally was in a car accident last, uh, you know, this morning. And this kind of thing happens every day. Hackers have no morals. <laughs> and, it, you know, just uh, the accident was off, you know, waters road three miles from your house. Cause they know where they live. So they can make it feel real by yeah. not saying the name, but saying a nearby name. She was taken to the local, you know, Detroit regional hospital, whatever the closest hospital is to that person. The doctor's urgently trying to reach you click here to view the message. That level of highly targeted, highly mm-hmm. surgical, highly personalized message, any father that I mentioned in my example earlier, every father for a brief moment would forget that cybersecurity training. They'd forget the what the CSO and CTO has been pounding their head of not clicking. They're going to give their password or their text or so their pen. It's funny you say that, that hackers are lazy because mm-hmm. when you say that, I think, wow, that is so elaborate. But- it's efficient, isn't it? Because there's just really no filter there. They're going right for somebody's soul. In that example that you just it explained, is. it's, it's, I mean, you're right. Who wouldn't, who wouldn't want to respond to that text? You're, you're a father. I'm a father. Our children are young. Probably just, you know, throw out that necessary skepticism immediately and think, oh my gosh, I've got to leave this meeting or holy cow, I've got to get off this phone call or mm-hmm. I'm out of town. Oh my goodness. I've got to jump on this. And that's, and that's and that's the open or that's the door that opens up. A hundred percent. Look at the two sides of the coin. You can either Google up an executive's name, mm-hmm. figure out some basic information about them and craft a message that tricks them, or you can dive into the cybersecurity, hacking into a device, bypassing firewalls, doing you know, memory overflows and all highly sophisticated, highly skilled, highly difficult hacking, the traditional hacking in the Hollywood sense, right? Mm-hmm. 
or you just send them a text. <laughs> Hackers are lazy. Yeah. And that's the biggest vulnerability companies have these days. Mm-hmm. So that's the reason I started Privacy Bee. Mm-hmm. We literally take all the employees of a company, specifically their executives, but really everybody with an email address, and we simply clean up the information that's exposed in Google. It makes it harder for hackers. It makes them not the low-hanging fruit anymore. So the hacker goes to the next company. It's easier because they're lazy. So, and, <laughs> and, and maybe you've already answered this, but this $200 billion market in cybersecurity, how does it not, how does it not encapsulate external data privacy? Hopefully soon it will. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and, 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 and I guess to that point, to what extent is external data privacy regulated? It's not. So it's an emerging industry. It's not regulated at all. At the end of the day, five years ago, maybe external data privacy wasn't needed for a company. Mm-hmm. Think back five, 10 years, you didn't have these kind of data breaches. And when you did, it was because somebody had a vulnerable server. They didn't update this new age PII infused spear phishing. That's so effective is pretty new. And that's really facilitated by the exploitation of data privacy. The data is everywhere these days. If, if you remember back to, um, you know, a couple of years ago, even five, again, five, 10 years ago, they were saying data is the new oil. But now when you look at the news and you watch where the trends and the direction the world's going, privacy is the wave that it, it hasn't hit yet. And it, it's crazy because usually you see a wave after it hits, you feel the wind as it flies by you, right? Mm-hmm. Well, this is a wave that is so obviously in the process of building momentum. You see legislation, you see GDPR in Europe, CCPA, CPRA in California. There's 36 states that have some kind of privacy legislation. Legislation is trying to make an impact here, but it's not fast. And when it does take effect, there's some challenges usually. No law is perfect. Mm-hmm. And then you look at the private sector. You have uh, companies focusing on complying with legislation. But what about outside of the letter of the law? What about doing the right thing to protect people? What about the common sense side and cleaning up where an impact is actually made in privacy? There's so much, uh, there's so many hand raisers when somebody says, do you want privacy? Nobody says no. Right. There's a huge, Nobody would say no. You're yeah. right. Yeah. The world's changing fast and privacy is the future of business and very few argue against that. So where does, so we're, we're, we're recording in Georgia where we both live in the United States how do our laws compare to other countries around the world? And, and, you know, in that, I guess what I'm asking is, is, you know, data breach in and of itself, how often frequently or seldom is it occurring in other places outside of the U S because we're a data driven country. Mm-hmm. I think we've evolved that way. A lot of reasons you, I, and our listeners would know, but how do we compare? <laughs> so you know how to ask a question that hurts. Oh, <laughs> uh, Georgia has no privacy laws. There's a couple things that have been drafted, not getting any momentum. One just died in the Senate in the Georgia earlier this year in the Georgia Senate. That was the Georgia Computer Security Something Act. Mm-hmm. Um, but right now it's the wild, wild west where we are. Okay, we are not one of the protected states, which means um, in when we're operating to protect an employee or a consumer and fighting for them, it's not we don't have the legal teeth behind us. But the good news is there's so many states that do. There's so many countries that do. When a, a company that's exposing data for affiliate marketing online or the tra- background check sites or any kind of company that's just openly sharing and exposing personal information on employees or consumers, they don't have the budget or desire to carve out all these territorial bubbles of how they comply with each individual location. So what they do is they blindly accept any kind of data deletion request, or it's called right to be forgotten. 
in a lot of states. Mm-hmm. They carve these out. And if you, they get a request, they honor, regardless if you're from Georgia or California, it doesn't matter. Mm. So we're kind of leaning on the laziness of the data exploitation that's out there to help kind of push our, our privacy narrative. And what is, what is evolving look like? In, involving in what way? Legislatively speaking. Well, we have three lobbyists on retainer right now. Okay. Our company does. We're trying to enact positive change because we believe strongly that companies need to start getting more aware of this risk to their business. Mm-hmm. Um, specifically, if you have a, for example, our, 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 our team's working on drafting some legislation that um, protects any kind of business that works with a government organization. So anybody receiving public funds, government money, right? If they do, they need to have some level of accountability of the privacy of their employees. Further, because it, that's kind of the supply chain hardening yeah. aspect of it. And a procurement focuses on that a lot in business. Downstream, 72% of data breaches don't happen from the company themselves. They happen from a vendor downstream. Meaning if you have Microsoft that has a data breach, I'm making this up. If they do, more often than not, almost three quarters of the time, a hacker doesn't go straight at Microsoft. Mm -hmm. They'll go at a small business that managed to land a Microsoft contract, breach that small business that doesn't have the money to defend themselves. They don't have been invested in a proper security infrastructure. And then they'll leverage that company's trusted relationship with Microsoft to swim upstream and breach Microsoft internally. Interesting. That is interesting. So the supply chain aspect is something called vendor risk management, which is a whole another aspect of external data privacy. So you just brought up small companies and their opportunities to be a point of access for hackers and infiltrators like you just spoke about. You sound really passionate, and, I, and that's kind of what I love <laughs> about you in general, because as a true entrepreneur, you get ideas and you just do. What, how would you describe the way that, the way that your software and this product is utilized? Because I know that you know, largely it's, 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 it's an opportunity for businesses to protect their employees. Can you explain a little bit more how that works? And, and, and I guess that the chain of, of, of the product being delivered and utilized by your end users. Sure. So we, we started off with a consumer offering where a person doesn't want their information in Google. Uh-huh. They hire us and we scan over 354 data brokers, people search sites, um, paste sites, any kind of site that exposes information. We scan all those, uh, we delete the information and then we monitor for reemergences when they refresh, if it's quarterly refresh or whatever happens to, to reinstate the data we deleted. Additionally, we have over 250,000 separate companies where we have by hand manually with our human eyeballs, read their privacy policy, mapped out their data deletion processes, identified their DPO, data protection officer, figured out what the process is for removal. If they have territorial restrictions, if they comply with, you know, our deletion requests, if they have, we've mapped out the whole process and built these profiles on a quarter million companies. Wow. So beyond just the you know, 350 data brokers that we work with primarily, there's hundreds of thousands of additional companies where when somebody has their information exposed somewhere they don't want it, we have an internal process and team to help them fight to get it removed, to shrink their digital footprint and, again, increase their privacy. I mean, we've had, um, you know, we started on the consumer side helping them. We work with, you know, Hollywood celebrities, athletes, actors, musicians. We have a lot of politicians on our platform. We have mm-hmm. former heads of state. We have some very, very high profile. And as individuals. As individuals. Okay. 
And then from that, a lot of the individuals, specifically in the high net worth brackets, had businesses. Uh-huh. And they wanted to bring this to the businesses they mm. operate because they started seeing the cyber risk side of it. So we've expanded now to the B2B offering. And we had a, a large business launch and, and a lot of products. We started doing R&D and, and building around the business side, which is really a big focus for us these days. However, um, in, in a nutshell, you know, we, have, we have new products coming out that help further the privacy of a person, such as an app that is fighting telemarketing in your phone, Android and, uh, and iOS. So there's a lot of investment we're making. At the I end feel of like the I day, could though, really use that. <laughs> a lot of the world can these days. So yeah. we are going, we're not just deleting data from Google. We uh-huh. are doing whatever it takes to protect somebody's privacy and fight against exploitation. And as a product for a company, that could be seen as another benefit on a menu of options for an employer to provide employees. A hundred percent. So the cyber risk side is, is very compelling in this world because usually when the market contracts, cyber crime increases. Mm-hmm. So right now, a lot of businesses are thinking about protection as they batten down the hatches. However, a really large benefit of privacy of your employees is telemarketing. Mm-hmm. productivity. Mm-hmm. Think about how many times a business phone rings that a person in your company has to answer the phone just for some sale, overly aggressive sales guy. Well, that, that decreases um, the time they have to work on, you know, productive things. Right. So you take an average of 3.2 hours a week of an employee's time is spent with what we call preventable distractions, mm-hmm. spam emails, phone calls, just things that are just not contributing to productivity. So you take a company take 3.2 hours per employee times their average hourly rate times the number of employees in a company. And suddenly you get to a lot of just bleed of productivity in an average company. Yeah. And then you add things like identity theft, right? This is a really interesting angle. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of companies out there doing identity theft protection and insurance. And we partner with a lot of them. However, all, most of those companies or I say all those companies will sit there, take a premium and wait for something bad to happen. Your identity gets stolen. They jump in. They make some calls for you. They help you fix it. But until... That's reactive. It's very reactive. 100%. Very reactive. We are the only company in the world that can proactively prevent somebody's identity from being stolen in the first place. It's the other side of the coin. Now, how that's done, think about it. Again, hackers, bad guys, they're lazy. If you have a data breach, uh, some retail store that leaks people's information, their socials, that gets out there. Usually when an identity is stolen... A bad guy takes that information and fills out a credit application for a fraudulent card or whatnot, mm. drains the card, and that's how they make their, their money. I don't know about you, but have you filled out a credit app recently? It's been a while. They're long. They Are ask they a lot of questions. Yeah. They ask previous addresses, what color was previous cars you've had. There's so much information they need. Yeah. Well, the retailer that started this from a breach, they don't list your previous car colors. Right. So a bad guy stealing your identity has to augment the information they have through public data exploitation mm-hmm. to figure out and build that full profile on you in order to complete the credit app. So if you clean up the digital profile of a person, when an identity thief is fishing through a hundred people that were in a recent breach, trying to steal a hundred people's identity, they get to you. They can't complete your profile. They're going to go to the next person, low hanging fruit. They're lazy. So it's not perfect protection, but it's mm-hmm. first line of defense to decrease the risk of an identity being stolen which is a super cool compliment. Uh, I'm, I'm happy we dove that deep. I'm scared of everything now. I don't ever want to give my name, my phone number or anything <laughs> out ever again. So we jumped right into it, which I love doing. It always happens when we chat, but um, 
I did want to ask you about just where you're at in, in, in what privacy be is as a startup and being the show and what it is, executive perspective, mm-hmm. open-endedly, what's the hardest part of growing and running a startup? This isn't your first foray. No, no, I've sold three companies. This is definitely not my first. I think the hardest part is, is people. Um, the, the problem with, uh, obviously hiring is always a challenge. You know, people present very well in interviews and sometimes you have some misfires. You, you know, you roll the dice with somebody and it doesn't work out, which is always really, really hard. That's the hardest part of my job is trying to, to make sure the right person's in the right seat on the bus. Mm-hmm. Um, so to speak, there's, um, there's a lot of challenges where you find a person who believes passionately in the vision and the purpose and the mission behind the company. Which, let me just say, you don't seem like you struggle to instill any level of that passion in people, just from what I've seen and, what I've, and from what I've known of you over the last couple of years. We're, we're fortunate to have a very passionate team, which is amazing. Yeah. Um, the challenge as a, as, a, as a leader in the business is to make sure that that person's skill set is pushing positive value for the organization. Mm-hmm. Just because somebody's passionate doesn't necessarily mean a startup moves forward, which is the cold reality. Yeah. And finding that fit is is never easy for a company, especially at an early stage. And that said, we've been very fortunate so far. Uh, at this stage, Privacy B has, you know, about 50 something employees, um, some in the US, some overseas. It's been, we're one of the fastest growing companies in privacy in just a couple short years, mm-hmm. which has been an incredible journey so far. But, you know, every company this size has its hurdles and its challenges along the way. Suffice to say, it sounds like what is the ever-present challenge is always people. Yes. Who's, who's, who's getting on the bus and making the decision of who's not a right fit for the bus? Mm-hmm. Which is ironic because we are constantly reaching out to highly skilled individuals in our area to mm-hmm. try to recruit them to come join our team. And one of our value props that we're offering to our business clients is poach defense. Uh-huh. <laughs> Which is, and there's definitely some irony there because when uh, a business is bringing on privacy B to protect their employees, especially in HR department, one of the, the really powerful values is people focus a lot on acquiring talent on hiring people, but how do they retain people right. other than a pizza party Friday? You know, right. I mean, it's not, yeah. it's hard to retain people these days, especially after you have a good culture and the obvious the, kind of the table stakes. So what we do is by decreasing the person's, uh, exposed information, a lot of the recruiters that buy databases and buy and, ex- and scrape to find person's cell phone numbers when they're trying to track down somebody to go after, well, we make it harder to find them. Mm. So the recruiters that are targeting a thousand people, if we remove, you know, a hundred, now they're targeting 900 people. Nobody knows the difference, but our clients just don't have as much temptation. Yeah. So it's, you know, for a business, it, it does, you know, obviously if people don't want to be in a company, they can always leave. Right. But it decreases the inbound temptation constantly teasing them because we say it, it only takes one bad day for your best employee to take an interview with a recruiter. That's true. So we try to decrease that risk. That's amazing. There's a lot of value of privacy. Yeah. What, um, what secrets are there in breaking through in a startup? If there were secrets and you could share them, <laughs> what would they be? Question. Um, I would say there's probably two primary things. A lot of people build a product that they think is shiny mm-hmm. instead of putting themselves in the businesses who are buying from you's shoes. Oh, that's interesting. So you identify when they're looking at all the vendors and all the inbound sales, you know, harassment they see and the noise in the market. It's a very competitive world in business these days. If you're trying to sell something commoditized, they're just going to roll their eyes. 
right? You have to find a way to differentiate yourself and identify what is the competitive advantage. Why would somebody give you the time of day and their busy schedule when they had 36 other people reaching out to them in the last hour? Right. It, it, that's what they call value proposition. hundred percent. Right? But a lot of people say my value prop is I save money. Every company says they save you money or they yeah. make you money. Right. Uh-huh. Those are the, you know, elementary way of looking at it. What is something truly unique? And it could be just, you know, honestly, lipstick on a pig, right? Mm-hmm. You could take a commoditized item, but if you have a unique spin that scratches that itch a company has or makes their life a little bit better, it has to be something you could say, we are the only company in the world who does X or we are the best company in the world to do Y. Mm. You can't say one of those two things, you're not going to succeed. And even if it's not true today, even if you're growing into that, you, mm-hmm. know, you can say, we are going to be the best company for solving problem X. And if you sell the vision along with your product, that is people buy an emotion and justify with logic. Yes. So there's a lot of, um, you know, a lot of people who are launching yet another clone of existing businesses. And they might do it with great salespeople, great marketing material, but they're going to always have that struggle. Right. And then, uh, you know, I've sold a couple of companies. So our, our path is always acquisition. Uh And along the way, a lot of companies build businesses that have a lot of financial cash flow, Mm -hmm. but then how do they exit? I've seen two primary mistakes. A lot of people tie it to their identity, which can be challenging if you're ever trying to get out of the business. Oh, where somebody wants to sell something that they feel so engrossed in that they don't want to part ways with it. Michael Dell. Who's this? <laughs> Should I know? Michael Dell, the guy who founded Dell. Oh, okay. Dell Computers. Okay. So, you know, it's when you have your name attached to the business, it's very hard to step away from the business. Uh-huh. Uh, the other thing is a lot of people build cash flow businesses without differentiation, where you're, you're doing so many things, you're competitive with everybody. When you're trying to sell a company, think again, like a prospect, you put yourselves in the mind of the acquirer. What could they bolt on to a business and find incremental net new value out of the gate? What could they say? Um, you know, we offer product a, but if you offer product B, it's a one plus one is three equation. Mm-hmm. And if you're competitive with a, any kind of overlap at all, that is D diminishing the value that they will pay for you because they already have a covered. Mm-hmm. So by staying in your swim lane, like we, we partner with a lot of identity theft companies. I mentioned that mm-hmm. a long time ago, maybe well, a year ago, maybe <laughs> it's been a fast moving world. <laughs> We had an opportunity to bring on identity theft protection as one of the features of our solution where people get insurance and, you know, million dollars coverage or whatever with our privacy solution. And I, I was going down that road pretty far and I backed out 11th hour saying, you know what, we're not going to do this. Why is that? Financially, it made sense. Uh-huh. However, if we are a privacy company with an identity thefts protection, suddenly overnight our identity changes. And now we're just yet another identity theft protection company with a privacy, you know, toy. Yeah. So I don't want to be bucketed into the ID protection industry. I want to be complementary to it where we can partner with these companies and go to market with the one plus one equals three. But if we, as soon as we overstep into that a again, yeah, there's diminishing value because now we're competing. We're not complementary. Gotcha. That's fascinating. So I'm very aggressive on staying in our swim lane. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, I mean, as a, as a key to breaking through, appreciate you sharing that. It makes complete logical sense. Harry, we're, Close to a time. Love this conversation. Love chatting with you. Um, for those who would love to get in touch with you, what information would you be comfortable sharing, seeing as this entire conversation has been around data privacy? <laughs> uh, no problem. So the company is Privacy Bee. It's yeah. privacy and bee like the insect. So P-R-I-V-A-C-Y-B-E-E.com. Um, and my email, harry at privacybee.com. Super easy. H-A-R-R-Y. Uh, feel free to reach out anytime. Otherwise, um, 
ping our team and they know how to find me usually. Thank you again for joining. And for everybody listening, thank you so much for tuning in. We really appreciate Harry as our guest on this series, this this episode's podcast of this series. We look forward to having more conversations. And Harry, maybe another one with you at some point in the future. Sounds great. Thanks so much, Danny. Appreciate All right. It. We'll see you. Thank you for joining us on Executive Perspective. This show is brought to you by Cressa the world's largest occupier-centric commercial real estate firm offering unbiased, conflict-free advice. For more information, go to cressa.com.